Thanks for tuning in to the Harvest Springs weekly podcast. Every week we'll provide you with the weekend message from our Sunday service. Well, good morning. Sorry, I'm, uh, my computer's going slow. Well, how are we this morning? Some of us aren't doing so well. Well, I hope that after today's message, uh, you're going to feel better about things. I don't know about you, but I, I enjoy a little encouragement. In fact, of all the messages in this series, this, this message specifically, um, I just struggled with. And I didn't feel tremendously good about it. And uh, so this morning, I kind of walked through it, and I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know. It just kind of didn't come out the way I wanted. And, and, uh, and so I, I kind of just was feeling a little anxious about it. And then guess what? My wife comes up to me afterwards, and she's like, man, Corey, that was really good. And I'm not just encouraging you. Uh, she's like, that was, that was good. And another person out there, she's like, yeah, that was a, just a very, very good message today. And, you know, so sometimes that encouraging word, man, it can just be a boost to you, right? Those times when you're struggling, the times when you're like, man, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. I'm just trying to stay ahead of things. And then when all of a sudden that person shows up and they're not complaining to you, they're not grumbling about you, they're not shoving their expectations on you, they're not expecting you to do anything for them, or they're not wanting anything from you, they're just there to encourage you. Man, those people are like a breath of fresh air. I, uh, I remember sitting, we had, we had taken this group of campers, they were eight to 10 year olds, on this, uh, this nine mile hike up to one of the, the highest mountain lakes in Montana, it's just below Granite Peak. And, uh, and I'm not sure what we were thinking when we thought we were gonna do this, but uh, with eight to 10 year old, eight, nine and 10 year olds, but about a mile in, I had a kid sit down and go, I can't go anymore. Like, we got eight more miles to go. Like, my pack is too heavy. So I, I strapped his pack onto my already heavy pack, and I carried two packs. And uh, the, last, the last 30 uh, or the last half a mile or quarter of a mile or so on this hike to get to kind of the, the place where we're going to camp is straight up this side of this mountain, just, just, there's no trail. You're just climbing on rocks. It's like this old rock slide and you're just climbing up your way to the top. <coughs> oh, sorry. And, uh, and as, as we were, uh, we we're getting up there, I'm tired and a couple kids are like, I can't carry my pack. So I got a pack in this hand and a pack in this hand and two packs on my back. And I get up to the top and there's this meadow of green grass and I remember throwing the packs down, and I just dropped in the grass. And it was so good. And the smell. Hold on. There we go. I think. Maybe I'll got some in my throat. Anyway, so we get up to the top, and it, I could just feel the breeze sweep over me. And you know how it smells like in the mountains? so good. And I'm telling you, that, that experience just refreshed me. And that's what encouragement is like sometimes. Now, here's the deal. I, I'm not very good at encouragement. I wish I was better. I try to be as good as I can possibly be. 
you know, and I know I can grow in this. And I, I know we can probably be better at this as a church. In fact, we took a little survey to measure our, the health of our church. And the lowest thing out of these 80 questions, the lowest thing we scored was when I see someone that's doing a good job, I tell them good job. And that's not, that's not just our staff. It was, it was our people. So we, we're not very good at encouragement as a church. But I hope that today you're going to walk out of here feeling encouraged. Because that's the whole hope of this message is to understand that the Bible is full of encouragement and encouraging things for you. Now we're, we're walking through this series on belonging. And today's message, the title, if you're, you know, we don't really ever run with titles, but the title for me is just the implications of belonging to Christ. If we belong to Christ, what are the implications of that? And really, there's lots of implications, but one of the big things is you should be encouraged. Oftentimes, when I look at the Bible, I see the Bible is, man, it's informational. It's all the information that I need, all the things, the details that I need to do. You know, this is how I live. It's informational. But here's the deal. The Bible also is tremendously inspirational. There's encouragement in the Word. And there are stories in the Scripture that I think are there for no other reason but to encourage you, to give you a little boost in the soul. And so today we're going to take a look at a couple stories and a couple Scripture passages that I think should encourage us in our belonging to Jesus. The first we're going to take a look at a story that's pretty popular in the Scripture. But the implication that this story brings to the surface is that God sees you. That God sees you, He knows your name, and He's got a purpose and a plan for you in His kingdom. And I've got a slide for that, if you'd stick that up there. This is the framework in which we have to understand that God sees you. You're seen. He knows you. He knows your name. And that he's got a purpose and a plan for you. Now, if you were in Sunday school, you probably have heard this story a whole bunch of times. You probably sang songs about this, this individual. The story is about Zacchaeus. And in Luke 19, if you have your Bibles there, you can go to it. But in Luke 19, we see the story of Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man and uh, loved it. I knew it, right? Zacchaeus was a, a guy who was short, and the, and the Bible drops this story of an encounter he has with Jesus. And I've thought this story through, and I don't know of any other reason why it would be in the Scripture other than to encourage us. Here's the story, Luke 19, starting with verse 1 through verse 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowds, he could not because he was a wee little man. That's in the King James, I think. Luke 19.4, 
says, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for Jesus was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down and received him joyfully. And when the people saw it, they all grumbled and said, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now here's the thing, to understand this story, the the Bible gives us some context into Zacchaeus, that without this context, you're not really going to grab hold of the significance of this story, okay? Number one, the detail we have about Zacchaeus is that he was a tax collector. Not just any tax collector, he was the head tax collector. He was the chief of the tax collectors there in Jericho. Now, tax collectors in those days have the same kind of attitude, you know, towards them as tax collectors in these days, right? Nobody's excited if the IRS agent shows up at your door. Nobody's like, oh, come on in for coffee. I'm glad you're here. No, we're not fans of the IRS. Why? Because they take our money, the money that we worked hard for, and we don't really want to give up. Well, the Jewish people didn't like the taxes either. And in fact, the Romans were oppressing the Jewish people with extremely high taxes. And the way they were extracting those taxes from the people or they were using Jewish people to do it. And those Jewish people were ultimately hired by the Romans to be the people extracting the taxes. So if you were a tax collector, you were considered a traitor and nobody wanted to associate with you. You were hated. You were, you know, considered really the outcast. They weren't inviting you over to parties. So clearly Zacchaeus here is an outcast. He's a person that's not welcome in society. The second detail we have is that Zacchaeus was wealthy. He was rich. And the reason that's an important detail is that wealth would have led to even more, uh, the Jewish people despising him even more, right? Because that wealth came from who? Came from his people. He ultimately got rich off the backs of the Jewish people. And that would have caused him to be not only despised for his wealth, but how he got his wealth. They would have hated him. The third detail is the one we probably focus on the most, was that he was short. But here's the deal about being short. He was probably short his whole life. Probably. You guys didn't pick that one up, but I don't His whole life, he was probably navigating being overlooked, being considered insignificant, constantly having to fight the battles, maybe being made fun of or uh, pushed to the side. 
Oh, you don't have the stature to do the things. You can't compete in the sports. You can't compete in work, right? You're short. You're not probably good for anything. Ultimately, we see in this story that he just wants to see Jesus and he can't even push his way through to even catch a glimpse of him. No one will tell him about him. No one will let him in to see. He's overlooked and insignificant to everyone around him. And the fourth detail that we have about Jesus is simply this. He was a sinner. He was lost. And everybody knew it. Right? Notice this. Jesus says, I've got to come to your house. And he goes over and he's having a meal with Zacchaeus. And what does everybody say? (gasps) He went over to the house of that sinner. Right? The sinner. Even Jesus himself said, I've come here to find you to seek and to save what? The lost. You're lost, Zacchaeus. I've come to rescue you from that. So even Jesus describes his condition as lost. So here you have a guy who's an outcast in society. He's despised by all the people. He's insignificant and overlooked. And he's lost. Now, how many of you guys go, there's a candidate for finding a place to belong? If anybody needs to find a place to belong, it's Zacchaeus. And so as he's trying to figure out this life, and as he's searching, he hears about this religious leader celebrity guy who's coming through his town, and he ultimately can't get to see him. So he runs ahead, climbs up in a tree, hoping to see him from afar. And as Jesus is walking by, he ends up stopping at the base of that tree and looks up and sees him. Now, it'd be pretty easy, I think, to assume that, you know, kind of it went something like this. Jesus is walking, you know, people he's talking around, and then he, you know, suddenly, oh, hey, wow, I didn't even see you up there. What are you doing up there? I don't think it happened like that at all. I think Jesus knew exactly where he was going in Jericho. I think Jesus knew that that path that he was on, he was going to go stop at that tree because he knew who was going to be in the tree. In fact, what do we know by this encounter? He stops, he looks up, and then he does what? What's his first word? Anybody? Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus doesn't know him, but he knows Zacchaeus. Boy, that'll preach right there. Zacchaeus is like, I just want to find out about this guy. I want to know who he is. But Jesus knows. Jesus sees him, knows exactly where he is, looks him in the eye and calls him by name. And then says, guess what? I've got to stay at your house today. I must stay at your house. I've got a purpose and a plan. I'm inviting you now to be a part of this kingdom work. You might be an outcast. You might be despised by all the people. You might be overlooked so much so that you can only see me by sitting up in the top of a tree, but I see you. And though you're lost... I'm going to offer you a place to belong. 
And once he found his place of belonging with Christ, it changed his life, right? What ultimately happens? Everything changes. No longer is he robbing people. He says, look, I'm going to give half of my money and wealth to the poor. I'm going to care about the needy in my society. Not what they can give me, but I'm going to contribute to them. And then if I've, if I've defrauded anyone, if I've done something wrong to anyone, I will pay it back. I will go the extra mile to make sure that I'm right. And what does Jesus say? Hey, salvation has come to you. You found your place to belong. And now you're living out the attitudes and the character of the king. Why should that encourage us? Because maybe you feel like an outcast. Maybe you feel like people don't like you, like you're despised. Maybe you've been overlooked, feel insignificant, like you're not that important. Maybe you feel like you're lost. Here's the deal. God sees you. He knows you. He is calling you by name. And he has a purpose and a place for you. He has a place for you to belong inside of his kingdom. And guys, that should encourage all of us. We are not insignificant to Jesus. He sees us, he knows us, and he invites us to belong in his kingdom. That should encourage us. The second implication of belonging is simply this thought, that God chose us to belong. God chose us to belong. In fact, if we go back to the story of Zacchaeus, right? It was Jesus who extended the invitation to Zacchaeus to come and down from the tree and to now be a part of his kingdom. Now, what did Zacchaeus do in the midst of that invitation? Well, he chose to obey. He chose to come and be a part. I know many times in the church, when we talk about our relationship with God, we talk about it in, in the context of you and I choosing God. We choose God. And that is absolutely true. But there's something important for us to understand inside of this context. That before we choose God, there's also an important piece that we must not forget. It's that God chose us first. God chose us first. And here's the deal. That's an important thing for a disciple to keep in our minds. We absolutely have to respond to the invitation of God. That we choose God. But he also has chosen us. Jesus wanted his disciples to understand this in John chapter 15, verse 16. He tells them, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain or abide. Now inside the church, we often focus on the we choose Christ piece. Right? We even sing songs about it. Right? I have decided to follow Jesus. And we focus on the, the decision we have made at the end of our service. In fact, today, 
probably I will invite you to make a decision to follow Christ. And you do have to make a choice. But just know this. He has already chosen you. W to understand this just a little bit. A few years after we started Harvest Springs, I sit in my office and I open up a letter and inside of it was an invitation from the President of the United States to attend the National Prayer Breakfast. Now, I mean, it was fancy paper and got all this stuff and it's George W. Bush on the bottom and I was like, wow, holy cow, the invitation. And, and then all of a sudden I started thinking about it. I'm like, there's no way George Bush is inviting me to anything. George Bush doesn't know me from Adam, you know, uh, unless he calls me on the phone. It's like, hey, Corey, you want to come? This is probably just one of those letters every pastor gets. They probably send out thousands and thousands and thousands of them. I'll probably get one every year. I've never gotten one since. <laughs> but I looked at that letter and I was like, I, this isn't a real invitation. There's no way they would choose me to come and go to something such with such prestige and, and uh, significance and importance and high-level people are going to be there and the president is going to speak there. There's no way they would choose me to be a part of that thing. So you know what I did with that letter? I threw it in the garbage. I didn't take it seriously. I think there's a lot of people sometimes that when we think about our faith, it's easy for us to accept the fact that we choose God, right? Because let's put it this way. God is good. He is loving. He's gracious. He's generous. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, right? We could just go through the list of all the things that God is, and it just is, it's like a no-brainer why we would choose God, right? Like everyone knows God's worth choosing. And if you don't choose him, you're just being foolish because he's so awesome and great. But why in the world would God choose us? Because we're not those things. We're not so great. We're not good. We're not faithful. We're not loyal. We don't have a lot of power. We don't have a lot of significance. We don't offer very much at all to anything. Why would God choose us? That's the hurdle. When I sat in my office, I'm like, why in the world would they invite, you know, this brand new pastor you know, uh, we just got started. Sure, we're doing okay as a church. We're making it, but I'm not significant. So why would then I be invited? Why would they choose me? And because I couldn't believe that they would really choose me, that they really wanted me, then I didn't respond. I didn't jump in. I didn't participate. I'm guessing that some of us have such a hard time believing that God would choose us that we also leave his invitation on the table. We stop instead of pressing in. And sure, it's one thing for us to choose God, but it's a whole other thing when we have to remember that God chose us. He wants you in his kingdom. He really does. He has chosen you to be a part now, what you do with your, you know, you have to choose to accept this invitation. You have to choose as well. But he wants you. 
and he wants you to be a part. And that should also encourage the snot out of us. That's, that's a pastoral term right there, encourage the snot out of us. Read that in the preaching manual. The third implication that I want to chat on today is that if we belong to Christ, we are always welcome back home if we'll come to Him. We are always welcome back home if we'll come to Him. I want to just refer to the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus tells this story of a young man who was a part of a family. But, as young men often do, grew restless and wanted to find a place to belong outside of his family. Didn't want to belong to his mom and dad. Didn't want to you know, hang out with his brothers and sisters. They just irritated him, right? I just want to find my place outside of the family. And so he comes to his dad, demands his uh, inheritance, and he leaves. And he goes off and he lives the way of the world. And he finds a place to belong there. But it all came crashing down, as it always does in the world. It isn't long before he runs out of money. It isn't long before his friends abandon him and leave him. It isn't long before he's destitute and broke and has no other option but to take a job feeding pigs. And he's so hungry and poor, he longs to eat the pig's food. That's pretty low in life, don't you think? But it says, the Bible says, that when he came to that place, it says he came to his senses. He came to his senses. He realized that his father was good, his father was loving, his father was gracious, and that the servants in his father's house had it way better than he presently had it. And so he decides, if I just come home, I could ask my father for forgiveness. I could ask him just... Let me be a servant in your household, and things will get way better for me if even that's the case. I'll just be a servant under him. And so he gets up from the field, and he begins the long walk home. Now, I don't know what it was like as you're walking home to, uh, to meet a dad that you pretty much told to take a hike. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to be in your family. Give me my stuff and get out of here. You don't matter to me. Right? That's basically what he was saying. So I'm guessing that this young man, as he was walking home, kept thinking, man, I did such damage to this relationship. I'm guessing he would just turn me away. What if he says, no, 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 you're not welcome here. Get lost. Then what? What if as he's getting closer, he sends servants out to, you know, uh, push him away or even beat him? What is the father's posture going to be to me, be towards me when I get there? But Jesus, as he's telling this story, says that while the young man was a long ways off, what happens? It says the father saw him. While he was a long ways off, the father saw him. And the father didn't go, hey, servants, go tell that guy he's not welcome on our property. No, it says the father ran to him. Now, there's, 
anytime you see something in the Bible where, where someone's running, it's kind of something you should just pay attention to. Because in Jewish society, like running is taboo, right? You just don't do it if you're a proper person. That's why I personally don't run. The reality is, like, there were no going for jogs or any of that kind of stuff. If you were a proper person, you did not run. But what does the father do here? He runs. He didn't care what people thought. He didn't care about the the image that he was portraying around everyone. He cared more that his son had come home. And when he got to his son, he threw his arms open and he did not welcome his son back as a slave. He didn't welcome his son back as as someone who had betrayed the family. He welcomed his son home back as a son. Completely a son. Not partial son, not half son. He welcomed him completely back home. And he tells all the servants, go kill the fatted lamb. We're, we're at a party tonight because why? My son who was lost has come home. You are always welcome if you will come back to Christ. Now, for those of you who've come back to Christ, you know then the blessing and the benefit and the, the wonderful welcome that God has given to each of us. He's welcomed us right back. He's helped us find our place in the family. But if you've yet to come home, it's never too late. You can find your place to belong. And you will find that the Father is there waiting for you with arms open wide. Because why? Well, let's talk about what we've already talked about. Because He sees you. Because He knows your name. He has a part for you to play in the family of God. He's chosen you. He wants you to be a part. And if you come back to him, his arms are open wide. The fourth implication is this. This is the final one. But if you've come back to God and found your place in the family, you belong to the shepherd. Throughout the Bible, there is this analogy of our relationship with God to a sheep and a shepherd. It's this idea that we are sheep and Christ is the shepherd. In fact, in Isaiah, it says, uh, I think 59.3, it says, we all like sheep, like sheep have gone astray. Right? We've all kind of gone and done our own thing. But you belong to a shepherd. And if you're a sheep and you have a shepherd, well, that should be an encouraging thing for you. Because just imagine you're a sheep that's on your own and you don't have a shepherd. Well, then guess what? If, if you're a sheep and there's no shepherd, yeah, you're in trouble. What happens if a wolf comes? What happens if a bear comes? What happens if a lion comes? What happens if there's no water? What happens if there's no food? What happens if you get lost? You're on your own. 
But if you have a shepherd, well, that changes everything, doesn't it? If you belong to someone, then now all of a sudden there's hope because the shepherd then cares about you and will look for you and search for you. In fact, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 18, verses 12 through 14. And he says, what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I t- uh, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish or be lost. If you're lost, you can know that your shepherd's looking for you. If you're lost, you can know that the good shepherd is not just sitting around going, man, I sure hope they find their way back. Well, they're on their own, stupid sheep. But their shepherd would be out looking for you. That challenges me. In First Peter, it talks about casting all our anxiety on him, on Christ, because he cares for us, because he cares for you. At verse, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, here's the deal. If you took that Greek passage that he cares for you and you kind of look it over, what it it really implies is that cast all your anxiety on Christ because you are his concern. Not that just he cares for you, but that he considers your livelihood something that he takes personal responsibility for. I don't know how many kids are downstairs today. I care about all of them, but only four belong to me. And only four, I have taken personal interest in their livelihood. They belong to me. They are my concern. And I'm telling you, if anything was going on that put their lives in danger, or if they got lost, I would give my life to make sure they were okay because they are my concern. When you belong to the shepherd, you are his concern. You have a father who will lay his life down for you. He will go to the extreme measures to make sure you're taken care of. I threw out seven things as I was thinking about things that Shepherds do for their sheep. Shepherds will defend their sheep. Shepherds will fight for their sheep. Shepherds care for their sheep. We just talked about that. Shepherds will lead their sheep. Right? We sometimes think about in, uh, in our context of uh, herding things. Right? If you ever see the, you know, the ranchers out there herding their cattle, right? they got the horses and they're driving their their cattle. They're driving them forward. Well, if you go over the Middle East, shepherds don't drive their sheep. They lead their sheep. The shepherds are out in front, and the sheep follow the shepherd. 
The shepherd will lead his sheep in the best possible ways. Not only that, a good shepherd will provide for his sheep. They'll recognize they need this or they need that. They need better uh, grass or they need more water. They will provide and take care of the sheep. They will search for the sheep that is lost. Now, I don't know about you, but I get my eyes off on the, the wrong things all the time. I take my eyes off of Christ when I should keep them on Christ, and I get distracted by the things of the world. And it's not, it's not long before you just find yourself in the ditch every once in a while. Boy, it's a, it's a good thing to know someone's out looking for you, that you have a shepherd who's pursuing you, looking for you, and ready to bring you back home. And lastly, the shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. In fact, Jesus says that that's my posture. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We recognize and know that it is Christ who's the good shepherd. It's Christ who ultimately made that choice that in our lostness, knew that there's only one avenue, one pathway in which we could be restored back to God, the sin of our life would be atoned for by His death. And by His willingness to sacrifice for us and to take our penalty, Christ then invites us to be restored back to our relationship with God the Father. So there He had bowed and I closed. I just want you to stop for a moment and think. Am I experiencing the blessedness of belonging? Am I living with this context that God sees me, that God knows my name, His plan and a purpose for my life, that He wants me, He's chosen me to be a part? He's welcoming me back to himself. And that he cares for me. I am his concern. Maybe for some of you, today is the day you just need to go, I need to come home. I need to bow my knee to the good shepherd and find my place in his flock. And if that's you, would you just respond to God and just say, I need to come back to the shepherd. Just slip up your hand and say, I need to come back to the shepherd today. See those hands. So Lord, for those who've just responded to you, we just pray, God, that you would help us courageously come back to you and to find ourselves as a part of your family. Help us to know what it means to belong and to live out the implications of that. I pray, Lord, today that every person would feel encouraged in their soul by the fact that you love us, that you see us, you know us, you want us, you chose us. Help us then to live that out. And God, for those that are responding to you today, 
pray, Lord, you'd help them to take their next steps in this journey with you and to find their place to belong in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us as we close? Thanks so much for listening to the Harvest Springs podcast. Our hope is that you hear the truth of God's word and that you are encouraged and challenged by it. If you would like to take your faith journey to the next level, check out the Getting Started plan on our mobile app or our website, harvestsprings.com. The Getting Started plan is a seven-day video-based teaching that will help you start your relationship with Jesus off in the right direction. And if there's anything that we can do to help, just fill out a connection card on our website or on the mobile app.